You're listening to the Party in My Plans podcast. And if moving forward fearlessly into the new year is something that's up your alley, well, you're in the right alley. Huh? I don't know. I'm a little distracted by this wrapping paper cut I just got. But I can fearlessly say this episode is one of the best of the year. So let's roll. Welcome to the Party in My Plans podcast, where I make healthy living as fun as a party so you'll, you know, actually want to do it and then actually feel, look, and live your best. I'm your host, Talia Pollock. Now let's get this party started. This episode is enthusiastically sponsored by a product I couldn't swear by more if I tried. Four Sigmatic Mushrooms. I didn't say swear about more. I said swear by. I couldn't swear by the magic of mushrooms more if I tried. I originally tried a packet of Four Sigmatic Mushroom Tea in a glass of hot water because, well, I was gifted a free single packet of Four Sigmatic Mushroom Tea by a friend. I had no idea what it did or what was going to happen to me. And I was skeptical because this whole mushroom thing is trendy right now. And I'm always skeptical of trendy things. Read, I avoid trendy things to not be trendy. You know what I mean? But anyway, I drank the shrooms and I felt truly awesome. It's hard to explain. I just felt more awesome than before I drank it. Since then, I've ordered it and consumed about two packets of shrooms a day and I can't get enough. I am telling you, these mushrooms are magic. Although they don't make me hallucinate in a bathtub like my ex-boyfriend's famous magic mushroom experience, which honestly, he seemed way too proud of in hindsight. But hear this, I wasn't hallucinating the magical effects of these shrooms. They are ultra scientifically proven to boost immunity and gut health. Yes, please. And thank you. And the four different shrooms that Four Sigmatic uses most, hence the four in Four Sigmatic. eh? I just got that too. Well, like three minutes ago. But they all do different epic things for your body. Rishi helps you relax. Cordyceps give you non-caffeinated energy for sports and stuff. Lion's mane, which does not come from my lion's mane, boosts your brain. That one's easy to remember. And chaga is, yeah, yeah, good for immunity issues like when you're traveling or feeling run down and or both. Okay, enough blabbering from me. I just finished a mushroom matcha latte. Oh, yeah, Four Sigmatic has mushroom matcha powder. If I could just stop blabbering for a damn second, I could tell you that because you listen to this podcast, thank you for that, you can save 15% off any and all Four Sigmatic shroom stuff you'll want to buy off their site, Four Sigmatic, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com using code party in my plants to save that 15%, baby. Man, maybe I had way too much mushroom matcha. Okay, onward to the show. My guest today is a self-talk shifter. She's a negative word redefiner, and she's a pretty prolific one-line spitter outer. Katie Horowitz is a writer, a speaker, an artist, an activist, and one of my dearest, most favorite friends. She's the proud founder of WANT, Women Against Negative Talk, a platform that gives ladies tips, tools, motivation, and inspiration to move forward in their lives by shifting their negative self-talk patterns. She calls WANT not her passion project, but rather her purpose project. See? Prolific one minds. 
Katie's brought the house down twice at the Good Fest, which is how we originally met. And she regularly speaks across the country about self-confidence and self-image. She's the host of the WantCast, the Women Against Negative Talk podcast, where she interviews visionary ladies. I was on there, episode number 47, about moving forward fearlessly and taking a proactive approach to positivity. I used to lovingly tease Katie, well, not really tease, but just tell her the damn truth about how her voice on her podcast is so sexy. It gives me the goosebumps. And one day over dinner at Dirt Kitchen, she laughed and told me that she just got in an epic new job as a trainer on Aptiv, the number one audio fitness app where she gets to reach over a million sweat seekers per month with her melodic voice, her customized running, cycling, and elliptical workouts, and of course, her unique brand of -of out-of-this-world positive coaching. Katie's just an overall joy, which also happens to be her middle name, Joy. And I'm not sure what's taken me so long to get her cutie booty on my show, but after this powerhouse of a chat, I'm sure she'll BRB. Katie, what is women against negative talk? Like, I honestly don't even know where this stemmed from. Like, I feel ashamed that I don't even know how Want was actually born. No, that's, I'm that's wonderful. I'm well, ashamed. Talia, Women Against Negative Talk is a, you know, the elevator pitch is it's a platform that gives women tips and tools along with motivation and inspiration to shift your self-talk patterns. And when I say that, people's ears usually perk up. And that's because I have never met a woman who has not dealt with some form of tough relationship with their internal dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I say dialogue because it is this back and forth. It isn't just this monologue. Like we've got multiple voices going on telling us different things. And Want was born out of a place where I realized that there were a lot of great body positive platforms and a lot of wonderful people who are talking about affirmations and mantras. And look, I'm all for that. But want was born out of the realization that there needs to be more. That looking in the mirror and saying, I love myself, I'm beautiful, you're a wonderful person is great. But what about those days where you don't feel like you love yourself and you don't feel beautiful and you don't feel like you're a wonderful person? So what gives women very situational tools along with inspiration to actually be proactive in their lives instead of reactive so they can live the life they actually want to live and be the person that they know they're meant to be. Okay, we're done. Thank you guys for listening. Bye, guys. That was amazing. (laughs) But what was like your impetus for birthing wants? Like, was there a time where you were just filled with negative self talk yourself? Like, did you go, did you learn how to abolish that? Like, where did this come from in your soul and in your life story? That's a great question. So, there is actually a two part answer to this because if this makes sense, I thought of it twice. (laughs) And the first time that it came around to me, I realized later on that the reason why it didn't really go anywhere and it didn't come to full fruition is because I had thought of the idea that I so needed myself at that time. So rewind back to 2007, which is now 
over a decade ago, which is crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. So rewind back to 2007, I was about three years into recovery from an eating disorder. And recovery for anybody who's listening who has been through either an eating disorder or any sort of addictive behavior they know that recovery is like a two steps forward, one step back kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And it's not a straight line. And there's a lot of ups and downs. And you get to a point in recovery where um, I define fearless as when the fear is less than the faith. Mm-hmm. And eating disorders are really born out of a place of fear. So my recovery really came when my fear was less than my faith. So in 2007, I was very aware that I had a problem and I had an eating disorder that I'm pretty sure you've talked about multiple times on your podcast. But for anybody who's listening who's never heard of it, I had an eating disorder called orthorexia, and orthorexia, boiled down, is an unhealthy obsession with health. And that usually comes along with the more and more people that I talk to and the more and more research that's done on it. It usually comes along with flirtation with other eating disorders, so Hmm. flirtation with anorexia, flirtation with, you know, laxative abuse or... um, you know, I never purged, but there was definitely a little bit of like exercise bulimia that went on with that. Mm-hmm. So it was just this perfect storm of, you know, disordered ways of living that made me feel like such a small shell of myself. And back in 2007, was orthorexia even a term? Oh, I mean, right? It's kind of new. I discovered. And I I don't recommend this in this day and age because we have so many resources available to us. But I first developed orthorexia back in 2004. And back in 2004, like we were still making websites on GeoCities and Angel Fire. I don't even know what that is. I don't honestly (laughs) don't even know. Is that like the Napster days? Are we? Are we? Yeah, yeah. It was like Napster, America Online. I think that Ask Steve's was still a thing. (laughs) Like this was in like the little baby internet days. And I was like, I know there's something wrong with me. However, I am, and I keep losing weight, but I'm, that's not my goal. And I'm not happy about Mm. that. Like, I just want to be, I just want to be healthy. And I'm using like the biggest air quotes possible because (laughs) healthy to me was being an adult and having your life under control and having a handle on things and healthy back in 2004 was still like, I call it the snack wells generation. It was still (laughs) very low calorie, low fat, um, lots of chemical additives in things. Like those 100 calorie packs of like smushed um, Oreos, like the Oreo crackers. Not only were there 100 calorie packs of Oreo crackers, I began making my own 100 calorie packs of everything. I was like, oh, 100 calorie packs are like the way of life. So you just like measure out 100 calories of pretzels and like. Yep. Yep. But I knew that like, oh, pretzels are bad because pretzels are um, so many carbs and they're, they're junk food. So I made the healthy choices. So instead of the healthy for the time, Mm. instead of having Frosted Flakes, I had All Bran instead of having, you know, regular yogurt, even if it was 
completely unprocessed and organic and all that stuff. Like that wasn't even the focus yet. It was that the hundred calorie pack of the yogurt was the healthy choice. Like that was what the mindset was back in that day. And orthorexia latches on to whatever the health ideal is. Ooh, that is profound. Yeah. Are you the first to say that? That is like brilliant and so true. We're going to call you the first. I'm calling you the first. (laughs) Wow. That's so true and fascinating because it's unhealthy obsession with eating healthfully. And because the definition of eating healthfully has changed every like five years, you know, what we see in magazines and on TV, everything's changed all the time. That makes so much sense that if you're just obsessed with eating healthfully, then you would just change with the new health trends. Yeah. And I think that that's why even today orthorexia is still seen as sort of this floofy eating disorder, like this not real eating disorder. It's because it's so hard to pin down. Anorexia, super easy. It's an obsession with being as small as you can be and eating as little as you can. Bulimia, really easy. You're eating food and then you're purging it either through throwing up or laxatives or through exercise. But orthorexia is constantly evolving because our definition of health is constantly evolving. And so I think that as we move forward with, you know, all of the information that we have at our fingertips as far as what being healthy and living well looks like, I think that orthorexia is going to change a lot too. And we've really got to keep our eyes open and our ears perked up to notice what the common denominator is in every single iteration of orthorexia, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that was the eating disorder that I was working through. I basically self-diagnosed myself because I was like, what is going on with me? And I went, it wasn't Google. So I guess ask Jeeves. I searched. Yeah. I asked Jeeves or I Yahooed like losing weight, controlling food. I don't know how I hit it, but there was one website that was made by the doctor who coined the term orthorexia. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I have. And because people around me were basically just calling me crazy and they were highly concerned. And I still have so much guilt over what I put my family and my friends through because they they wanted to help, but because there was no information about what I was going through, there wasn't information on on how to help me. So I was like, I am just going to be my own guinea pig because I was self-aware enough. I've always been super, super self-aware. It comes along with being what's called a highly sensitive person, an HSP, where you just feel everything super deeply and you internalize everything around you. So I've always been super self-aware and I knew that something was going on and I knew that if I didn't take control, then no one will. So I started to basically be my own test subject. And I noticed when I started to get triggered and I started to really pay attention to the environment around me and not just the environment that was surrounding food or exercise, but the way that people talk to each other and the way that people focused on things like their body or their career or their accomplishments. 
And I noticed how prevalent bonding over negativity was. Mm. Now, I knew that this existed. It wasn't like having an eating disorder and being in recovery opened my eyes to this world of negative self-talk and me thinking, oh my gosh, I've been speaking negatively to myself this whole time. I always knew that it was happening. The thing is that I didn't realize until that time how normalized it was in our culture and how it wasn't just me and my internal dialogue, but that I lived in a world that almost rewarded and celebrated that kind of talk. Mm -hmm. You know, like when you meet a friend and you ask what's going on and they start to talk about the shitty stuff that's happening at work. And then you start to talk about the shitty stuff that's happening at work because you don't want them to feel bad if you're saying good stuff that's happening. Like oh, you totally. Feel, yeah. You, know, and you almost push yourself down to connect mm -hmm. and you go to that negative place to connect and to collaborate with people in this life that we're living together. It's so true. You're so right. I mean, if someone's like, how's marriage? And then, you know, you don't want to be like, oh, it's perfect. So then you like say one, oh, well, this is challenging. And then the next person be like, oh, yeah, for me, this is so challenging. And then, you know, you're just all spiraling in this negative place. Yeah. And it happens a lot. I mean, it happens a lot no matter what, but it happens a lot with food and with your body, body. you know, and yes, I yes. absolutely know you can relate yes. because you basically have twin families yes. and I have very strong memories of being around the dinner table at Thanksgiving or at uh, break the fast and break the fast is different because you're fasting for like religious reasons, but like Thanksgiving, people talking about how little they ate during the day like it was an accomplishment mm -hmm. because they were saving up for that night. And people talking about how long they worked out that day to make up for the food that they were about to eat or just saying, oh, like I'm, I'm so fat. I'm so this. That's another thing. Like the, the demonization of the word fat has got to go. I hope that 2019 brings that because fat is a word and is an adjective. It's not a feeling. You can't feel fat. You can feel oh. puffy. You can feel uncomfortable, but you can't feel I fat. I feel puffy right now. I indulged a little too much last night on some pizza and wine. Well, I feel <laughs> uncomfortable right now because I ate dinner at 10 p.m. Look at us. Now we're both negatively comparing and, and relating. What? This, is, it, this is just information, right? <laughs> like, that's my whole thesis statement out of all of this and out of all of the noticing how we connect, how we relate, and how that language that we speak to ourselves on the inside ends up being the exact same language that we speak to others on the outside and vice versa. The conclusion that I've come to is that self-talk isn't inherently good or bad. It's information. And it's the way that we interpret that information and what we do with that information that ends up screwing us up in the long run. Hmm. What does, you know, negative self-talk really look like? Do you think it's always conscious or do you think it's, you know, unconscious? Like 
Is there a difference between what we say? There, there is a difference between what we say to ourselves in our head and, or even like, like I don't often think full sentences to myself. I'm never like, Talia, you suck. But sometimes I can feel like I think I suck without actually hearing myself in my head say, Talia, you suck. But then also saying things out in the world like I feel fat is something totally different than like making myself feel like I suck. What are your thoughts on that? Was that even a question? Did that make any sense? Yes. And I love that you brought that up. A lot of people, when they talk about negative self-talk, they talk about your inner critic. They talk about your inner bully. I've even heard people say like the bitch in your head. And that is so problematic to me for so many reasons. One of which is that when you are calling your inner critic and your your inner feelings, rather, when you're calling these feelings that are bubbling up and this information that is attached to the feelings, when you're calling it names, you're reinforcing this negative atmosphere where you're constantly at war with yourself because those feelings are there for a reason. That reason might not be clear right out of the gate, but there is a reason there. And the second that you separate yourself and you give that reason a name, then that's basically saying that there's a part of you that is wrong, that is bad. Now, I know that for some people, naming their inner voice works wonders. Like, Jeremy, for example, my husband. Your hunky husband. <laughs> my very tall, hunky husband. Wonderful human being. Most kind. And very helpful. Generous, funny. Oh, I love Jeremy. Oh, he loves you too. Oh, I just love Jeremy. <laughs> so he is someone who goes to a place of like avoidance a lot when it comes to being frustrated with things going on with work, with life, with his body, whatever, he'll get frustrated. And then he is in the habit of pushing that frustration out into the world on other people. Usually me, because we live together. I mean, this doesn't happen a lot, but when it happens, that's oh, how his body Jeremy. responds. Gosh, Jeremy, get it together. Well, he was like, I heard Tony Robbins say that you should name that voice when it comes in. Oh. So he, Which is the opposite of what Katie Horwich just said. Yes. And you know what? For him, it works. And that's great. And that's because that's something that it's a voice. He's like, I don't know why I'm saying that to you. Like, I don't know why this is coming out. And he is like, that. that's not me. And that's not a part of me that I want to have in this relationship or out in the world with other people. Because if he's doing it with me and it becomes a habit, then eventually like what you do in private ends up leaking its way out in public. Right. So he's like, I've got to nip this in the bud. So he ended up like naming that voice and he can, he can catch it now, which is great. That's one strategy. Just like affirmations and mantras are great for some people, they're also not great for other people. So mm. want was born out of a place that was like, there needs to be something else. There needs to be other strategies. There needs to be other ways for people who frankly are like me and 
affirmations and mantras don't fix everything. So what is like one of your favorite tools? If you're going to, if you're not an affirmation and mantra gal, how do you, you know, chip away at that negative self-talk? So one of the tools that I find the most useful is thinking about, because right right now, like if we're in a tense situation and we're feeling uncomfortable, like you're feeling puffy right now. And if you were to sit in that and be in the moment and think about it over and over and over again, you could maybe get like that thought could hijack you. And Mm -hmm. that thought could take you on this wild journey that you didn't even want to be on. But I like to say to myself, okay, or ask myself rather, (laughs) when have I been here before? Mm -hmm. And in the future, when am I going to be here again? And knowing that information, knowing that this is not this one make or break scenario what am I going to do differently this time? So when this happened before, what did I do? How did I feel after? What triggered it? What got me over this hump? And what didn't? What wasn't helpful? So how can I use that information to feed this circumstance, to be proactive about this circumstance, not reactive? This is so legit. I mean, I was just right before we got on the call, I was walking Tommy in the snow as we were just talking about it's what's not drizzling. Um, what's drizzling? Snow. Flurrying. It's It's where the snow goes up. (laughs) Yes, it is flurrying (laughs) very much so right now. And I'm like, oh, I feel I didn't think puffy. I felt bloated, but like puffy is the perfect word. I feel puffy. God, I feel puffy. And I have to go to the gym in a few hours to work with my trainer. And I'm like, God, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to feel puffy. And I'm going to, you know, look at myself in the mirror while I'm doing the exercises. And no, I don't look like my best self. But then I said to myself, kind of without, this is before you and I spoke, but I said to myself, well, I've been here before. Like I definitely have gone to my workout and felt not my best and not like, you know, the puffiness I saw in the mirror, but I got through it and then I got better. And then, you know, I'm sure this will happen again. I kind of did all those things that you just yeah. talked about. I'm, I'm so proud of myself because you said that, but it really helps because what I just said to myself is, listen, you had a great night last night. You saw the Lion King on Broadway, a safari honeymoon reunion. You ate so much pizza with lots of dairy and wine, but it was worth it. And so don't go into your workout today and freaking kill yourself in your mind. Like, don't just yell at yourself in the mirror today. That will be really bad. And that's stupid. And don't, don't damage yourself like that. So I guess that was my way of trying to be like, listen, it's okay. You've been here before. You'll be here again. Yeah. Is that, is that a good case study of what you just said? Yes, that is perfect. If it wouldn't make an awful sound in the mic, I would be clapping so (laughs) loud for you right now. So there's like, there's three steps that come with like recognizing your self-talk patterns, right? First, there's like, if we're talking about it as a language that we have taught ourselves and a language that we never intended on learning and teaching ourselves a new language. The first step is recognizing like the misinterpretation that self-talk is what we make of it. We're just taught to make of it something that, that like doesn't ultimately serve us. Mm -hmm. And then the second step is recognizing that it's a systemic thing that the self-talk we use without emotion attached, I call it casual negativity. Like the stuff that you say as flippantly as it's snowing outside. Oh, Uh 
I suck at this. You know, we just say it and we use that casual negativity as a bonding tactic. So recognizing that there's a misinterpretation and that we are speaking this language in our entire life. It doesn't just exist in our head. And number three, there has to be a redefinition then. And a redefinition means redefining what it means to be positive. Because if you think of negative self-talk and back to your earlier questions saying, like, do you say actual sentences to yourself? What does it sound like in your head? I think some people talk in sentences. I mean, I talk in full novellas. So (laughs) yeah. Oh yeah. It's a really loud place in there. (laughs) But a lot of times we will talk, so to speak, in our head in feelings and then those feelings feel so strong that we attach those feelings to what I call emotionally heavy words. Yes, that's what I do. Ews, ews. You just said what I do. And I've never thought about that before in my life. I have a feeling and then I'm so obsessed with naming my feelings because I feel mm-hmm. like that's how you fix it. You know, that's how you address what's wrong and then you can come up with solutions and da, 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 da. So anytime I have a feeling, feeling. Peter, you name your feeling ugly, right? Yes, yes, you know? <laughs> totally. And then I name it like fat or, well, I don't know, whatever, ugly, whatever. And now it's kind of like a negative affirmation. And then I just like run with it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I've never thought of that before. Yeah. So like we speak this language in different ways, in different dialects, if you will. But no matter what, it comes out in these emotionally heavy words. So when you think of negative self-talk, you think the opposite of being negative is being positive. But if it isn't actually negative, if it's actually information, then it's actually not negative self-talk, it's reactive self-talk. And that means that the opposite isn't positive self-talk, it's proactive self-talk. Boom. Yes. That's so good. I'm going to go back to my feeling puffy. Like if I could just say, oh, I feel puffy, I feel bloated, I feel eh, then the information I could just, that's information. And then my reactive thoughts or whatever talk could be like, I'm going to eat more plants today and like move my body. Mm-hmm. Is that a good example? Yeah. Or you no, say, that good. fix it. No, 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 no. That's, fix that's, it. that's being, no, <laughs> no, no, that's great. That's awesome. <laughs> like it. the great thing though, is that you get to decide what is proactive for you. Like for me, when I'm feeling puffy or when I'm feeling uncomfortable, like I am right now, I am like, you know what? I am going to think about this later and I'm going to be in the moment that I'm in right now. Like there's always later for me to contemplate how crappy I feel if I'm actually feeling crappy. That's funny. How can I maximize the moment that I'm in? And then you look for opportunities to, like I say, at the end of every single podcast that I do and every single class that I record, I say be the you you know you're meant to be, not just because it has a fun little lilt and and prosy rhyme and structure to it. It's because we all know who we are meant to be in this world, but we have these emotionally heavy words that come in. We have society coming in. We have situational things come in, whether it's good, bad, in between, comfortable, uncomfortable, that come in and tell us who we should be. But if we stop and get really quiet 
and think, all right, who do I know I'm meant to be right now? Like for me, I'm uncomfortable and I am meant to be the Katie Horwich who is more than that, is more than just an uncomfortable feeling that she's feeling one day. Or maybe I feel it two days. Maybe I feel it tomorrow, whatever. Life is long. Two days is a blip in time. So for me, the me I know I'm meant to be is the one who is, like you said, like go work out, but not work out because I need to undo some bad thing that happened to me. Work out because it's going to give me an endorphin boost. It's going to make me happy. It's going to give me a chance to listen to the music that I love or listening to like an awesome new podcast. And it's going to be an activity that is fun and out of love and not out Mm -hmm. of punishment. And that's the person that I want to be. Like Mm -hmm. my middle name is Joy. I want to do things from a joyful place, not from a place of punishing myself. Yeah. I feel like you were straight up set up to do what you do. I mean, your parents middle named you Joy. Yeah. Yeah, they did. That's crazy. They did. They did a really good job. They nailed it. Yeah. (laughs) And then one other thing that I do is, and we're talking about situationally with negative self-talk or reactive self-talk, I'm big on asking yourself questions. And questions for me just, they get me into that headspace that gets me thinking beyond whatever emotion I'm in. So if I'm thinking like, Like last night, I was having a moment where I was super discouraged and I was feeling like my moment, whatever that moment is, was going to pass me by. And I had to stop and ask myself, okay, are you actually feeling this way or are you sort of like addicted to the drama of the situation? Like, is this emotion as heavy as you're making it out to be? Or is it drama addiction? Then another question I like to ask is, what's my priority right now? Then this is more like if you're complaining about something in your life that is going, I don't know, the way that you don't want it to go, whether it's with your body, career, whatever. If you're complaining about it, then you've got to ask yourself, what's my priority? And is this one of them? Because if it's not a priority, then there's no sense in like wasting time thinking about it and stewing over it, right? So what's a time, like a real life example, when you were upset about something or, and then you ask yourself, is this a priority? And you're like, wait, actually it's not. Why am I upset about that? I'm not upset about this. Hmm. That's a great question. I think that something that I have experienced in the past is and asking that question really has changed it's kind of changed my life and that's why I'm having a little trouble thinking of like a recent example. It's really easy to give examples that have to do with your body because you're walking around with your body all day and we're all walking around with our bodies all day. I mean so it's sometimes really I leave for, mine at home, but I don't know about you, but whatever. I mean sometimes it needs like an <laughs> afternoon siesta while you're out doing things. I totally get it. But like we're we're all walking around with or or living life with a body. That's true. So it's it's the one thing that we can all relate to. That's so true. if I'm not feeling great and I'm I don't know, if I need a new sweater or a dress to wear to an occasion and I am trying on 
a bunch of dresses and nothing is fitting the way that I want it to fit. And I'm feeling super uncomfortable in all of it. I have gotten into the rut before of letting that completely rule my day and just stewing in, ugh, like my body is this way. Why am I not this? And I need to, I need to fix this and do this and work out harder and eat these things. But is that my priority? No, my body is, is not my masterpiece. My body is a vehicle so that I can go and create my masterpiece, which is my through line, which is the, the thing that I am meant to do in this world. It's the common theme in everything that I love and the common goal in everything that I do. So what's my priority? Well, my priority is that. Is fitting into dresses today one of them? <laughs> Not really. So I'm going to give it like a day and try in some other dresses. Or maybe I get the dress that like fits the best out of the 12 that I tried on and I just suck it up and kind of deal with it. It's fine. It's not a priority. It's a moment in time and it's not what defines me. Yes, I would prefer to feel the best possible in whatever I'm wearing. But if that's just the headspace that I'm in and like, let's say that the event is tomorrow and I've got to get a new dress because I don't have a dress. This is kind of a silly example, but I feel no, like honestly, you get it. it's not. I'm sure this is a real example. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to give something that's super, super down to earth and not super heavy so that people can be like, oh yeah, I've been there. Yeah, like, exactly. You've got an event tomorrow and you've got to get a new outfit and nothing is fitting the way that you want to like pivot and make the best possible decision you can in the moment and know that it's one day out of many, you know, yeah. like it's not the priority. It's You're not right. the priority that you get the very perfect dress. It right. is a priority in that moment mm -hmm. that, you know, you're present for the occasion. Like mm. that's something that if you like for your wedding, I loved the jumpsuit. that. Oh, I, wore. I was just going to pipe in and say, just rewear the hot jumpsuit you wore to my wedding. Okay. You can't find a dress, Katie. <laughs> well, okay. But I also had my period during your wedding. TMI, girl. Well, really? <laughs> I don't. I feel I'm like, I feel like not though. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I had my time of the month during your wedding and I felt super puffy and a little bit like in my mind, the emotionally heavy word that I was going to was gross because I felt sweaty. I felt like my hair wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. And I felt like I wasn't fitting in the jumpsuit the way that I wanted to. Was the priority that day that I took a lot of pictures of myself looking banging in my eyes in this did. jumpsuit? Well, thank you. That's another point, which I'll get to in a second. But like, hell no. The priority was that I was enjoying your amazing wedding. And I'm so happy that I shifted. And because it was like one of the best weddings I've ever been to oh, in my life. And it was so much fun. And that was the priority. And if I had put the priority on the way that I looked and looked very subjectively, mind you, like you were like, oh my gosh, that bang and jumpsuit. And I'm like, ugh, I didn't really like the way that I looked in it in that day. Like those are two 
completely different opinions and neither one is better than the other or worse than the other. They're just different. I love that. I'm going to post photos of you in the jumpsuit in the show notes, FYI. (laughs) Okay. So everyone can be the judge. Fantastic. Slash side Uh, with me because you looked amazing. But it's like it didn't matter. Like it was a fun jumpsuit and it was a jumpsuit and I love wearing a jumpsuit. So for that day, that was enough. Like Mm -hmm. it was fun and it was comfortable and it allowed me to enjoy the day without worrying about like, I don't know, a short dress and a a skirt hiking up. Like that's getting clear on what your priority is and figuring out if the thing that you're actually stewing over is one of them is huge. And sometimes you need to do what I call a planned freak out and plan to freak out about all of those things that aren't actually a priority and get your priorities clear so that you can be proactive and not reactive in the long run. Okay, we're gonna, that was perfect. We're gonna dive into the planned freak out. That was one thing I wanna talk to you about for sure. But first, I just have like two to three random situations because you seem so helpful at just like, giving us tangible things to think or ask or do in situations. So I just wanted to throw two to three out at you quickly, then hit the plan freak out and then end on active and plant questions. And that's the agenda. Awesome. (laughs) Got the syllabus. Boom. Okay. One, I was listening to Conan O'Brien's new podcast this morning and it was an episode of Will Ferrell. You should listen. It was amazing. Will Ferrell is one of my favorite in the entire world. And they both said, interestingly, that they don't read any reviews about themselves or of their work because they say they have such thin skin. And they talked about how even the most glowing of glowing reviews, they will find the one thing and harp on it forever. Like Will Ferrell gave an example of like a glowing review. It was a positive review, but it started with, I've never liked this guy. However, he was a pleasant surprise in blah, 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 blah. So he won't see the pleasant surprise. He did great in this role. He'll be like, he'll harp on the, I've never liked this guy. And Conan also says he can't even read a positive review that doesn't even have any bits of negative. And I was like, I found so much relatability in that. I found that so incredibly fascinating. And I'm just curious, like, what your thoughts are on that. Mm, I love that because I have been, I mean, this is skipping ahead and we'll talk about it later, but I've been needing to read a lot of reviews of myself lately because of Aptive. Like, we get a report card every single week and we see all the comments that people leave. And it's not just for the sake of comments. It's so that we can we can self-edit and self-mentor and take the information that's actually valid and implement it into our classes. Well, let's scooch up. Let's bump Aptive up the syllabus now so you can talk about it to answer this question. Okay. So I just, I'll say it really, really quickly. Aptive is an audio fitness app. It's actually the number one audio fitness app. Think of a cross between a podcast and Netflix and Spotify. So Mm -hmm. you have like a whole library of workouts. It's all audio, no visual that you plug in your, your headphones and you have a trainer leading you through these workouts. And after you finish one, there's like suggestions, kind of like Netflix, like Mm -hmm. based on this, you could like this and you can select your workout based on anything from, I like this type of music to, I want to work out that's under 19 minutes. Like you can get super specific Mm -hmm. and they use real music, which was a deal 
not breaker, but deal Sealer. maker deal. in this <laughs> in this situation for me. So we're able to use real music to program our classes, and I am a trainer for them. Woo! I teach spin classes. I teach uh, treadmill classes, elliptical classes, and outdoor running classes. You did one of my outdoor I runs. I did. It was awesome. I accidentally uh, gave you all of the sprints when you were going uphill. So yeah. Yeah. Sorry about it. Yeah. Well, uh, just the way it timed out, it was so funny because like, I mean, you got me into Aptive. It's amazing because especially now in the winter, I'm just not as inspired to go for my runs, obviously, but I do run outside. So I'll use an Aptive running workout to really like get me to move my butt. And so I did one of yours and it just so happened that like, you know, you have no idea where the hell I'm going to be running when you're like, it's time to sprint guys. But every time you were like, it's time to sprint guys, I was up at going up a hill. So yeah. it was tough, but it but was, it was so fun. Like 90s and early 2000s awesome. pop music. It's, it's so. a wonderful experience. I, I really love Aptive. I'm not sponsored by them. This has nothing to do with that. I just think it's freaking awesome. And everyone thank should you. check out your workouts on there and other people's as well. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I, I seriously, I love recording with them. I love the way that they have facilitated community. Like I'm really trying to make choices in my life right now that go along with the bigger picture and bigger vision and through line. So making choices from a place of this fits into my larger goals of reaching a lot of different kinds of people and people in different places and building a proactively positive community. So yeah. Aptive is amazing. Anyway. Boom. Done. There we go. Cross that off the list. But how does Aptive help you? You have to read all these reviews. So how can yeah. you, what advice do you have for Conan and Will? <laughs> well, okay. So if you're reading reviews, the thing with the Aptive reviews is they ask you at the end of every workout. It's like, rate it how many stars and what did you love or what could be improved upon? And people write things, but I'm going in and recording classes every single week. So I can use the helpful information in there to help me improve my future classes. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a difference between reading reviews and comments for the sake of reading them and reading them to mine them for information of what you can either do better next time or what you can keep doing more of as you move forward. But how do you detach? I mean, I have like one or two four-star reviews on the podcast and like 200-something amazing, glowing, like I want to cry when I read them reviews. But the two that aren't great, it might even just be one, honestly. It feels so much like two. It like kills me. It was like something like, don't listen to the solo episodes, like blah, 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 blah. And it like- Oh my gosh. I love your solo episodes are my favorite. Thank you. See, but it's like, it's so subjective. I know. And it's, it's also so like, subjective. I just hear that one comment that was like something about bad about solo episodes. And now I like have so much fear and anxiety around doing solo episodes when I probably have 200 reviews that are like, I love the solo episodes. But what the hell is that? And how do you, I mean, I choose just to not read comments as much as possible for this reason, mm -hmm. but you have to. Yeah. Okay. So to get to that place where you can mine comments for good information, and I learned this from, from acting because I, I acted for a really long time. It's A, completely subjective. And B, if you give power to 
the positive comments, then you're going to give power to the negative comments. So you have to kind of Ooh, wait. Be, ooh. Can we rewind and say that again? Yeah. Yeah. If you give a lot of power to the positive comments, you're also going to give a lot of power to the negative comments. And this takes work, but wow. it's important for me at least and for my practice and for my beliefs to start off in a neutral situation, be neutral. And then it also honestly makes it easier to like thank people in a genuine way because that's another thing. Like we have a major issue with compliments that was my in next, our society. That was my next situation. Remember, okay, I'm like, wait. I have three situations. My second pause, one was compliments. Pause, 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 ah! pause, pause, pause. We'll get to there in a second. <laughs> so I want to finish answering this one. <laughs> okay, so compliments. I'm I'm going to stop talking about that and put that on the shelf <laughs> for in a few minutes. Um, we need to neutralize the situation so that the positive comments become something that we are grateful to get. And the negative comments remain neutral unless proven otherwise. And neutral unless proven otherwise is really important. And, you know, I truly believe that if you're great for everyone, you're amazing for no one. So if you're trying to be everybody's person, then you're just going to end up being a watered down version of yourself. And when you are creating a brand for yourself that can be whether you're an actor or a comedian or a podcaster or a writer or whatever, the comments that you read are usually about you and the things that you're doing. And I'm really passionate about making sure that like my people can reach me. And the people who are really going to resonate with want and with me and with my style of like coaching on Aptive, I want to be so unquestionably me that I am either amazing for people or they're like, yeah, she's not my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. I would so much rather have some people say, she's not my cup of tea than everybody say, she's pretty good. Mm. So when you become committed, and that's another question, like you've got to ask yourself, do I want to be for everybody or do I want to be the person for my people? Like, how do you want to show up? Mm -hmm. How do you want to be of service? Do you think this is applicable for people that aren't performers and entrepreneurs and stuff? I mean, like even just like as a, as a friend or a colleague. Yeah. I mean, I think that there is definitely value in being malleable socially or as a colleague and being a little bit of a social comedian because you can read a room and you can adjust accordingly based on like what is going on with other people. And like there is value to that. However, you know, we have this loneliness epidemic in our society, which is bizarre because there are so many ways for us to find each other now. And like, if we're all talking about loneliness and we're all connected on social media and we are all going to events and meetups and networking, whatever, like, why are we so damn lonely? And it's because lonely to me, lonely is love with nowhere to go. So love is also an emotionally heavy word in the complete opposite direction of hate or ugly or gross or whatever. 
you want to love things and not just like everything. So if you're liked by everyone, but not really loved by anyone, then you're going to end up feeling very lonely. If you like everyone, but you don't love like in your bones, anyone, you're going to end up feeling really lonely. And this is brilliant. I mean, this is what you are just, oh, you're just so incredible at taking these things and making little sound bites that help us process and like name these things. Like I didn't have time to write down. What did you just say? Loneliness is not. Lonely is love with nowhere to go. Like, where do you come up with that? I told you, my brain is super loud. (laughs) And that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of our brains are really loud. Oh, thank you. Roomy. Thank you. Roomy? Roomy. Roomy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Like Roomy. Not like Mara um, Roomy. Thank you. Yeah, I was like, Roomy. I'm sitting sitting in my roomy, (laughs) my one roomy apartment now. No, thank you. And it's a product of like I said, my brain being a really busy place and a really loud place. And a lot of times we get overwhelmed by that and we get scared by that. And so we just like push things out. And when you sit with all of that craziness that's going on and you rummage through it, kind of like you would in like a garage sale or a thrift store, like you end up finding the gems. And I'm a writer and being a writer People are like, oh, well, you're just like, you're writing all of the time. Like, no, writing is 80% sitting in silence and thinking and 20%, that's even kind of being a little generous, like sitting down and putting things onto the page. And I need a lot of alone time and a lot of quiet time because my work gets worked out in my head and I'm the kind of writer who just, who works it out in her head and then like barfs it all I'm up. I'm the on opposite. The I'm the polar opposite. Yeah. As a writer, I just need to freaking have my fingers on a keyboard or my more honestly, I love my hands on a pen or a pencil yeah. and just freaking write stuff. I process by writing. The other day, yeah. Jesse and I were going through like a really difficult situation and I didn't know how to articulate perfectly what I wanted to communicate to him with my mouth. So I wrote him a note and I gave it to him. <laughs> I literally <laughs> like hand typed a long, like it was like two pages in a normal Word doc. And I'm like, good morning. Here you go. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I used to do that with every single boyfriend of mine. I used to do that with my parents when we got in fights and I did something wrong. Yeah, and boyfriends, no, now too. that I think about it. Oh my God. That's so funny. Okay. Well, we have straight. speaks to that you're, you're an extrovert primarily and I'm an introvert. So mm. you process things outside of, of your head. That's I true. process things in my head. Like people... People talk about extroversion and introversion in a social situation and about like a recharging situation, but it also has to do with how you process information and how you get your words out into the world. And I process information very much internally. Let me ask you a quick question about extroversion, introversion, and highly sensitive people stuff. What are just some of your best resources? If somebody, like I, I don't admittedly like investigate my introversion versus extroversion. I'm an extroverted introvert. I don't really know. I don't really investigate that that much. But if somebody's listening and they're like, I'm really curious about that. I know this is stuff that you're really passionate about. What yeah. are some good resources? Um, I like the website Introvert Dear. Oh, 
That's one of my like favorite deer sites. Deer as in Deer Katie. Or D-E-A-R. Like deer. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Animal. Introvert deer. Maybe the animal. Um, I interviewed the founder, Jen Graneman, on the first season of the Wandcast, oh, actually. perfect. We'll link that in the show notes. My favorite resource as far as introversion, extroversion is actually a test and an indicator. It's a Myers-Briggs personality Mm -hmm. type indicator because there are different types of introverts and there are different types of extroverts. And each of us has both introvert and extrovert in us. It's just how prevalent they are and how they like manifest themselves in our daily lives. And so what the Myers-Briggs test does is basically it tells you the type of makeup that you're dealing with. So you might be a super introverted person, but be a thinker, be a, a very thinky person. So Jeremy is an INTP, which means that she he is a he's an introverted, intuitive, thinking perceiver. Wow, we're very different. What are you? Yeah. I know what I am. I'm an INFJ, which oh. I Jeremy and I have the first two it's the same, which is I'm an introverted, intuitive, feeling judger. And judging doesn't mean Katie. that I'm like, I know, God. I know I sound bad. It's like judgy wudgy what's a bear. Come no, on. I am not not <laughs> that kind of judgy, but judging is using information that has gone on in the past to inform how you feel in the present. Well, that's about as accurate as anything based on this conversation. (laughs) I'm an ENFP. Oh, okay. So we've got the intuitive and the feeling that's the same, but you are extroverted and perceiving. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. But see, like it it shows you what puzzle pieces you're working with. Where do you get the test? I wanted to do it for Jesse, but I couldn't find the test again. I did mine like years ago. Well, what about for listeners? (laughs) I'll send it to you so that listeners can have it. I oh. Honestly, if you just Google MBTI personality test, here, I'll do it right now. MBTI test. It is the second link that comes up. <laughs> personality test based on C. Jung and I. Briggs Myers type theory. Perfect. There we go. There you go, guys. Second link that comes up. Yeah, and it's a 64-question quiz. Don't get intimidated by it. Make some no popcorn, worries. cut up an apple. Exactly. some cinnamon. Like, yeah, and <laughs> and you just you take the quiz, and it's, it's really, really, really fascinating. It can tell you a lot about yourself. So, okay, learning to accept compliments. I could give you a little anecdote about why I had this question, but, you know, you already alluded to this question anyway, so just tell me how to accept your compliments. Yeah, well... <laughs> I think that <laughs> we all have a problem or most of us have a problem accepting compliments. And that is mainly because we have been taught that accepting a compliment is like a nasty egotistical thing and that we're full of ourselves. So yeah, and it's scary. And it's and it's scary. Like, and it's scary to own it's scary to own the really good parts of ourselves and you said I don't know why. And I think it's because of what we think other people will do when we accept the compliment. 
Like, let me give you let me give you this this scenario because this is why it yeah. came up. The other day, I was on the Doctor Oz show and I was preparing, and the producer came in and she said, "I'm like, oh, she's like, hey, I'm like, I'm just memorizing my points, you know, just like practicing with my amazing sister, who's your podcast editor. Shout out Nina, thank you for mm-hmm. everything. And um, I'm like going over my points. She's like, listen, you're here today because Doctor Oz loves your personality. We're not here for you to be a nutrition expert or a scientist. We just love your personality and just go out there and just like be yourself. And that is the ultimate compliment. I mean, Nina started crying. She was so moved by how powerful and flattering and amazing that was to hear. But my first thought was, oh shit, really? Like, what if I'm not funny today? Oh my God, this is so much pressure. Really? Like, they don't even care that I like no nutrition. Like, oh my God, what if I'm not funny? What if I'm not my best self? What if my personality sucks today? And I was like Mm -hmm. spiraling instead of like, just sitting there and crying of happiness with my sister, who then was like, dude, calm down. Your personality is something you always have. You're not just going to go up there and just be a different person. And she really helped me calm down. But like, I was so shocked by my reaction to one of the most positive things I've ever heard somebody say to me that I just am dying to get some wisdom from my bestie like you on this Yeah. Well, okay. that crazy? Gosh, that's so that's so fascinating because when I hear you say like you repeat the conversation to me, yes, it's complimentary, but I don't view that as a compliment. I view that as permission. Like I think that with compliments, we teach ourselves that anything good, anything that we interpret as good that's said about us falls under the umbrella of a compliment that deserves a thank you. But a compliment is, it's a gift. Like it's somebody giving you something that they, maybe they didn't go shopping for it or didn't make it with their hands, but they made a high opinion of you in their brain and they are gifting you that opinion. That is something that just like accepting a gift and you would never be like, oh no, I'm not going to take this. Like, oh, well, it's, I, I don't, I don't deserve these socks. Like you would say thank you for a gift and like, thank you so much. And that means so much to me. And thank you for thinking of me. Compliments are gifts in that way. There are other situations like that, that people are, and I've done this with other people. It comes across as like a pep talk sometimes. I've done it with you before where it's, it's stating what I believe to just be obvious and give you permission to be you. The permission thing is so resonating. I put a heart next to it. I mean, that's really ultimately what she was saying. Just go out there and be yourself. Like, have fun, you know? But like, for some reason, it just feels, like I said earlier, like scary to receive a compliment or to be praised. Mm -hmm. Well, and that goes along with like, if you are, you know, just, and I, I think especially people who are around our age, we were raised in a time where it's like you say thank you to everything and you say sorry to everything. Mm. And 
those two go together. Thank you and sorry to me are opposites. And when you don't accept somebody's compliment, when someone's saying like, like if I say to you, Talia, you are so amazing. Your solo episodes are the highlight of my week, which is not untrue. (laughs) That's something that is like, oh my gosh, thank you. You wouldn't go, oh, well, sorry, they're not, they're not as great as I want them to be. Like you'd say, thank you. However, if you were saying that you were nervous to record a solo episode and I was saying, look, your solo episodes are great. I love them and they're a highlight of my week. So they're probably a highlight of other people's weeks as well. Just do what you do. Be yourself. People love when you're yourself, go out there and like crush the game. That is something that is permission. And yes, you can say thank you to it, but that's something that I am, that I'm having a conversation with you about. It's not something that I should get a thank you note for, Mm -hmm. you know, which is something that is the other end of this conversation. I think that just in the way that we bond with casual negativity, I think that sometimes our ego can get in the way. And if we do something nice for somebody, we do it to be recognized and we do it for the thank you or for the gushing. And the second we do that, that's the second that we're screwing ourselves over because A, it's not coming from an actual giving place. It's coming from a selfish place. And B, when other people give us compliments, we assume that it's coming from that place. So we feel like we are indebted to them. So coming from a place of, to go back to Will Ferrell, everything is neutral. And Mm -hmm. if someone gives you a compliment that is their subjective opinion, having gratitude for that compliment, like that's awesome. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing no matter what. But thank you so much for for recognizing that. That really means a lot to me. And that helps making accepting compliments a bit easier. And part of accepting compliments and getting comfortable with accepting compliments has to do with giving compliments also. Like, Mm -hmm. just like I said, the language that we speak to ourselves is the exact same language that we speak out in the world. So if we give compliments superfluously and we give them without any sort of expectation attached, then it makes it more comfortable to accept compliments, if that makes sense. That's very fascinating. The neutral thing is so challenging. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's not challenging. Like, it takes work. Right. But it's like, I mean, you deal with people who are changing around their diet and their habits. It's like, you don't practice it for a few days and then if it doesn't work, you're like, well, fuck this. You have to keep doing it. And it becomes, and just like learning a language, back to the language, can't just practice Spanish in your head and then expect to become fluent out in the world. You can't just practice Mm -hmm. it out with other people and also not think about things and how they translate in Spanish. Like they've got to work together. That's really cool. Okay. Period on those two things. Let's go yes. into the art of the planned freakout, which is the yes. ultimate question asking activity. Awesome. Tell me. I know this is an epic way that you get 
ready to go into the new year. And it's something that I guess you're, you know, we got to give Jeremy credit where it's due. He came up with the name of it, didn't he? Yes. I mean, he, did he come up with the name? He came up with the process for sure. In your blog post, you said he came up with the name. Oh, I thought that I said he came up with the... Oh, maybe. Well, he might have come up with the name. I don't know. I don't know. Jeremy Sorry, was involved. Jeremy, I don't remember. No, no. He pr- it's okay. I'm the memory keeper in this relationship. <laughs> he probably doesn't remember either. <laughs> he, basically, he created the thing and I refined it. That makes sense that you would come up with the name. Okay, whatever. Either way, what is the planned freakout? So a planned freakout is exactly what it sounds like. You <laughs> set a date in your calendar, ideally at least a week in advance. I like multiple weeks in advance. And you don't have anything else going on that day. You set aside a couple hours to plan to freak out. And that was born out of life starting to feel overwhelming. And he was like, we're going to take a day and just like, work this stuff out. And, and I remember we ended up going to a hotel bar. We went to the empire, the hotel empire, empire hotel bar. And <laughs> we got a mouthful. Really? Yeah. Empire hotel, ho- empire <laughs> hotel bar, man. Why can't I say that? We got really expensive cocktails and Ooh. he was like, okay, I thought of a system. And what you do is you get out a notebook and any notebook will do, but I actually like having a now a set planned freakout or PFO notebook. And you open up a spread of two pages. And on one side, you write things I hate. And we've talked about how I feel about the word hate and emotionally heavy words. This is a time where I want you to just go there. So on one side, you write things I hate. On the other side, you write down things I dislike. And you set a timer anywhere between 10 to 20 minutes. And you just go. And what's the difference between hate and dislike? So hate are those things that you feel so emotionally weighed down by. There are those things that like trigger massive anxiety or depression or like existential crises. Hate is the stronger of the two. Dislike is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to get out my plan freakout notebook. It's right here and read you like an example. Sure. If you would be so kind. Yeah. I, gosh, I don't mind. There's some, there's some that's, that's private in here, but I just won't read the private ones. So here's what we've got. I wrote under things I hate. I hate overwhelm, which leads to procrastination, which leads to more overwhelm. I just, I hate that feeling. Things I dislike, I dislike a stagnant website. So I've been like redoing my website slowly. I don't like it feeling stale. I, I dislike rushing. That's really good. I dislike rushing to places. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm like notoriously late to things. And I hate, I hate rushing. And that, or I dislike rushing. And that leads to what I really hate, which is just this overarching feeling of overwhelm. So the dislikes are sort of the the products or the puzzle pieces that make up or come from the hate things, if that makes sense. And once you start to do it, um, the first one was definitely the most difficult. I was like, what do I write down under hate? Like, I don't know. Like, I hate 
I hate social injustice. Like I hate wage inequality. Like I, I was so, I was so trained out of using that word. I was like, can I go there? Yeah. So I'm at my first planned freakout page right now. And I, the first thing I wrote was social injustice. Oh my God. I didn't know what to write, but then I wrote, I hate waiting for things to happen. And waiting to me is just self-suppression. And then I wrote, I hate feeling ineffective or insufficient, feeling like I'm getting nowhere. And then that it started to roll. And then things I dislike. Back then I wrote, I dislike having to fight the same battles over and over again with family, with friends, with work, whatever. I dislike that I'm not involved in more culture around the city. I dislike that I feel overstretched with my classes and I'm teaching way too much at the time. So it was stuff mm-hmm. that was just like ugh, stuff, not, okay. not like overarching. So that's the first step. And that takes the full 10 to 20 minutes. Once you've got that list, then you draw a line underneath or you flip over a page and you write in bold letters, so what you going to do about it? <laughs> I write, so what the fuck you going to do about oh, it? Oh, risque, uh, Katie. Because, because sometimes those emotionally heavy words, like if you're using them in a proactive way to push you forward and you use them very selectively, it can actually be a game changer. So All right. what the fuck, the fuck you going to do, do about, about it? it? And then after you're done with that, I suggest like, either taking a walk to clear your brain or getting coffee or getting cocktail. But what do you write? Like, what the fuck am I going to do about social injustice? What the hell do you write there? Well, that was something that I was like, okay, well, that's (laughs) not actually something that I can, like, solve this big problem. Like, I hate it as a concept. But what do I hate? Like, this is the time where you can get selfish and you can get really personal. And this is just for you. Mm -hmm. So It's like procrastination. Yeah. So, so let's see what I wrote on this one, on this one. I said that things that I hate was, um, I hate the overwhelm and procrastination. So what the F you going to do about it? I am going to, let's see, I get really overwhelmed by the phone and I feel very tied to my phone sometimes. And I feel one of the things that I wrote that I hate is that I don't call my brother, or my dad, or my grandparents more. I talk to my mom all the time. But I I really hate that that I don't call the people that I love more often. And I don't do it because the phone is so draining to me. And then I wrote, make it work. How? <laughs> um, so phone boundaries. So I wrote for the phone, be mindful with purposeless scrolling, like set times of day, especially on the weekdays for the times when I'm going to scroll through social media without a purpose, without a goal, because in my life and in my work, I use social media as a business tool. So I can't stay off of it. That's unrealistic for me. So in order to curb the purposeless scrolling, I'm going to set times of day, especially on the weekdays and then calls. So what the F you going to do about it? Find two times during the week that I can be consistent and put in my calendar phone call to someone I love and put those times during the week and schedule 30 minutes and schedule who I'm going to talk to. And that might seem a little bit like overkill. If you're like, well, you've got time right now. Like, why don't you call your grandmother right now? It's like, well, I'm walking somewhere and I'm calling her on Thursday. Like that might seem kind of selfish, 
But for me, I need to get into a rhythm of knowing that that's a time that I am dedicating to the people I love. If I want to add to it, fantastic. But I know for me to not feel that feeling of hate and loathing around my relationship to phone calls and around the phone, I've got to start to set some structure. I love that. I love that. And and speaking of love, I know the next step here is to write things I love and things I like, the opposite yes. of hate and dislike. Yes. So you so you turn a page, you get another two-page spread, and you write things I love. And then on the other side, you write down things I like. And you set a timer, and you go. And then once you're done with that, you write at the bottom or on the other page, so what are you going to do about it? Oh, there's no fuck in that one? So what the fuck are you going to do oh, about okay. it? Just don't make sure. And usually with that one, it's like, I'm going to do more. more. Yeah. So you can write how you're going to oh, do cool. more of those things. Can you give an example? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, I realized after our first PFO that a lot of the things that I needed to do to do more of the things that I love and feel more of those lovey and likey feelings was to start doing the things that were the result of the things I hate and the things I dislike, which was really interesting. That is very interesting. So for me, I wrote uh, things that I love and things that I like. Things I love. I curse again on this one. My favorite one that I wrote for this one was things I love. Being on a stage, changing motherfucking lives. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And then I wrote things I like. I like starting the day with exercise. Mm -hmm. So why don't you love that? Like, I love that. I mean, because I I love feeling good in my body. I like starting the day with exercise, but if I exercise at 2 p.m. or at 6 p.m., like, that's fine too. Whatever. Okay. I like exercising, but I prefer wow. to start the day with exercising. So what the fuck I'm going to do about it? I'm actually going to turn back in this instance to what I wrote on the other So What the F You Gonna Do About It page. And... I wrote something about fear and that I have a lot of fear around blindly pitching myself to people, a lot of fear around doing things without any sort of like middleman. So under what the F you going to do about it, I wrote take control, take the wheel and drive and fear. I'm going to identify three people I can pitch each week, pitch first thing in the morning. So I feel productive and that's also going to, so that's going to get me more speaking gigs where I can change some motherfucking lives. <laughs> and if I feel really productive first thing in the morning, then I'm not going to procrastinate on exercising until later. Then I can be like, cool, I did the thing. I'm going to go exercise now, you know? So it's all about, I don't want to say getting out of your own way, but it's all about looking at the themes in your life of what are the root of most of what you perceive are your problems or hates or dislikes, and then seeing what's at the root of what your likes and loves and happiness things are, and then devising a game plan for yourself. And then the next step is actually acting out on that game plan, which is why I don't like scheduling PFOs on days that are busy. I like having it be like the one activity of the day because you're going to want to do things after you're, whether it's thinking about what you just did or actually putting those things into place. And it gets you on a roll and it gets you thinking about these things that 
are attached to the emotionally heavy words before the words and those feelings get to you in the moment and you feel completely paralyzed by them. This is amazing. This is genius. It is life-changing. It seriously is life-changing. Wow. Cool. All right. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And I know you do it as like a New Year's-y thing, but you also do it random times during the year. Yeah. I mean, I think that's when you feel things building up. Yeah. When we feel things building up, Jeremy and I do it together. It is helpful to do it with someone on a regular basis, just so you can talk it out. You can totally do it by yourself though. I, I know a lot of people who do it on their own all of the time. I want to do it with Jesse. I'm going to definitely I'm do it with Jesse. If, if you're Let's in... do a double date planned freak out. Oh my God. Well, so, okay. So just here's kidding. another thing. When you do a planned freak out, if you're doing it with another person, having it be your, your partner, if you're in a relationship is really valuable or doing it with like your absolute best friend in the world, because it has to be a, it has to be a zero judgment place and it has to be a place where you can completely let loose. And you want to do that with a person that you've already done that kind of work with that you already feel like they're going to love you no matter what. And that you already know is going to have your best interests in mind, no matter what, and like hear you out. That's really important. So if you're doing it in a situation where you're like, we're going to get like a, a group of people together. No. Like, let's invite everybody no, over. Too much. Yes. Too oh. much freaking out. No. No. Ew. no. Oh, too much energy. Uh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. It's got to it, – it does have to be kind of an intimate thing yeah. for it to work because you've really got to be able to go there. Otherwise, then it's just like a rally. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and I like doing it like once a quarter – I mean, at least twice a year, I think is, is important. And, and even if you feel like you've got your shit together, just because you know how to navigate the waters you're in doesn't mean it's meant to be a smooth ride. Like this is a Katie again with the sound bites. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Oh my God. You're amazing. I love that. It's a great tool. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really helpful. And if anybody who's listening ends up doing it, definitely if you're comfortable, share with me, share with Talia. You don't have to share exactly what you write about, but we would love to hear how you feel or how it's affected you or if it got you thinking about good stuff. Like, Yeah, I want to know everything. Yeah, everything, every juicy detail. Okay, well, I loved this chat. Speaking of things I love, I love you. Speaking of other things I love, and now I want to know what plants you love. (laughs) What's your favorite plant to eat? Oh, to eat. I was like, well, to grow I, snake I like snake plants. <laughs> That's in my apartment. But oh my gosh, what's my favorite plant to eat? How can you make me choose? What's my favorite <laughs> plant to eat? I love a good roasted squash. I love a good like roasted kabocha squash or acorn squash. I think those are my absolute favorite. However, the plant that I eat the most is, oh my God, this is so basic. Kale. Is kale. Well, because kale, it's dark, it's leafy, and it's it's very tough, so it fills you up, you know? Yeah. It's perfect. You don't got to prove how awesome kale is to me, right? Yeah. Kale is pretty awesome. What is your favorite plant party restaurant? Ooh, I love ABCV. Mm. I love ABCV. 
I'm going to give a shout out to Westville too because we went there recently. Oh, yes. And you reminded me of how good it is. Yeah. So like price points, um, yeah. higher price point, ABCV, lower price point, I'd say Westville. It's not all plants. It's not a totally no, vegan no, restaurant. That's not what we're talking about. Just great places to get plants. Yeah. And also low price point in LA, there is a little cafe that's in the back of actually a little grocery store. It's been there since, gosh, God knows how long. It's called Follow Your Heart. Oh. And you might have seen like their vegan mayonnaise yeah, spreads. So they have a cafe oh. in LA that is probably my favorite planty place. Well, you're from LA, just in case anybody didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. What is your most used kitchen tool? Most used kitchen tool is probably either the coffee grinder or our wok. Just because the wok is so big and you can just dump a bunch of things in and then you're like, oh, I have a meal. Those are two things nobody's ever said on this podcast. Really? There you go. Yeah. I always get Vitamix and knife. I mean, I I use my Vitamix a lot, but I don't no, know. No, it's awesome. Mix it up. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Walk what is walk. walk your walk, baby? What is your favorite active workout available? And Tom is barking because the door is buzzing. But just keep going. We'll ride through it. Your favorite okay. active workout available. My favorite active that I've done. Yes, that you've created, so people can my, hop right in. My favorite active workout. I have three answers for you. Number one for each for each category. My favorite run is the run that you did, and it's the '90s, 2000s guilty pleasure run. It's great. Um, my second favorite is the spin class that I did called Fear Less, and you heard my little soundbite on fear before. It's not about the absence of fear. It's when the fear is less than the faith. And then my third favorite class is an elliptical class that I am looking up right now and I'm searching. Oh my gosh, how wonderful that all of these filter options exist. So you can find exactly the workout that you're looking oh for. Oh my God, you sound like an infomercial. <laughs> my Hashtag favorite sponsor. my favorite elliptical class. Ooh, I love all my elliptical classes. There's a Justin Timber elliptical and a Bay, uh, a B and J elliptical, which is also which is all Beyonce and Jay Z. But I think that my favorite favorite elliptical class. Yeah, I loved Justin Timber elliptical. Justin Timber elliptical. Oh my god, the name. I have not been on an elliptical machine since I was like a freshman in freaking high school, and that was like once. So I don't even know how to use one. But I kind of. I didn't know people still use them, but you have yeah. all these elliptical workouts. So, Oh my gosh. People use ellipticals way more than they use a spin bike. Right. Well, when you say spin bike, oh, this is a good question. Uh, if I do say so myself, um, when you have a spin class or a cycle class, is that like you should get into the spin studio and do it on a regular bike or just like any? Because there's a difference in, in most gyms between like kind of the crummier, weird Recumbent bike, like bike thingy. Bike, yeah. And then there's like, the bike that's normally in a spin class that maybe they have like one out on the floor. Yeah. They're the one that's the spin bike that the kind that like you would see in a class is the ideal bike. Okay. And you can go into your gym. Usually most gyms let you do this on off hours and I wouldn't recommend using their stereo system because there are rules around that. <laughs> um, but plug in your headphones. headphones and get on one of their bikes when class isn't going on and do a workout. And they usually have one or two on the gym floor. Yeah. And those are tension-based 
pieces of equipment. So there's a resistance knob, you dial it up, you dial it down. I love it because it's so customizable and it's all based on feeling. With the other bikes, they're machines, right? Like you're pressing buttons and you're hitting you're hitting numbers like you would on an elliptical or a treadmill. Those you can't stand up on and it's a little more difficult to finesse and fine tune resistance. However, that being said, if your gym doesn't have a spin bike that's available to you, you can get on one of the like recumbent bikes or the upright bikes. And you can, what I suggest people do is figure out what numbers for you are easy, moderate, hard, and breathless intensity. So just like play with it a little bit. And then use those as you're taking the class, use those numbers in that gauge. And then when the instructor says to stand, I like taking the resistance up by one or two points and really activating my core. Like, like I'm, like I'm forming like a force field around my midsection. And that somewhat mimics the feeling of standing up out of the saddle and mimics that, like that stability activation. Brilliant. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, for that's clarifying. a really good question. A lot of Thank people you. ask that. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm going to try an elliptical workout just because it sounds fun and I literally don't know how to use an elliptical machine. So should be I interesting. I have not used one in such a long time. And then my bosses at Aptiv were like, would you be comfortable doing elliptical workouts? And that was like my gateway into fitness was the elliptical machine. So I was like, all right, I haven't done it in a couple years, but I can get back on. And so I got myself familiar with the elliptical again. And it's like, you know, like you don't forget how to use an elliptical. It's just it's like riding a bike. Well. And riding I was like, oh, elliptical. well, I don't know how to ride a real bike, but that's a whole what? other story. What? You don't know how to ride a bike? No. I bet I could. What? I like my bikes to go no place. I'm And baffled. that's why my classes are beat-based and all about the music. And I don't wow, talk about riding, like riding out on the road, the road because oh. that's not something that I do. So I can't speak to. Wow. But also, it's not something that I am compelled to do. And there's a whole slew of people who are like, yeah, riding outdoors is not for me. And I want to speak to those people. What a darling. You should, whenever you play Two Truths and a Dare, not that you like play that on a frequent basis, you have to do like, I can ride a bike as, or not Two Truths and a Dare, Two Truths and a Lie. A lie, yeah. That should be one of your things because I would never have expected that. That's so funny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One of the things that attracted me to Jesse is that he could ride a bike because he grew up in Manhattan. And when we went somewhere on a trip or something and he got on a bike, I'm like, oh, you can ride a bike. I was oh my so gosh. impressed that he <laughs> could ride a bike. And he thought I was nuts for being impressed. Anyway. Okay. What is a book that's inspired you in some awesome way? Um, Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. Boom. Is that the one I bought for my honeymoon and I've been reading? It's like little essays? Yes. I yes. bought it and I've been reading it. I read it in Africa. Yay! Yeah, I started reading it. Some of them got really depressing, so I put it down. But some of the things were beautiful and made me cry. Yeah, pick it back up. It's really good. Where can people go to stay connected to you? I mean, this was incredible. I'm sure people want so, 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 so much more. So where can they go and get their Katie soundbites on a frequent basis? Oh, my gosh. Well, the best place to go is womenagainstnegativetalk.com and to sign up for our monthly email digest. I call it the monthly email love letter called The Good Word. And that is a way to stay directly connected to me all the time and also stay up on all things want, all posts, all everything so you don't miss a beat. Um, but I'm on Instagram at Katie Horwich. You can also follow 
me and want at, at women against negative talk. That's more quotes. It's more of a community page, but I'm at Katie Horwich and I have a Twitter page that I don't use very much, but I am on active and that I would love to share a code with your listeners. So if they sign up for the annual plan, which is still like pretty affordable. They'll get seven days free. And if they use the code Katie 30, then they'll get 30% off of the annual plan. Sick. I think that's what I used. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. I, I love it so much. It's amazing. It's great. Well, thank you so much. This was amazing. I know we both literally have to run to our separate workouts. So I'm going to say bye. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. How was that for a self-talk smackdown, huh? I love this idea of a planned freakout. My freakouts usually are unplanned, so the planning is pretty cool. Jesse and I actually had a mini planned freakout the other night over dinner with a notebook and everything over where to live next, and it was honestly so effective. No major ahas on where we want to live arose other than agreeing to take the pressure off having an aha right now and just renew our apartment lease in March instead. Freak out resolved. Oh, also another little piece of follow-up since I recorded this chat with Katie last week. I tried her elliptical workout. I feel completely redonk to be like raving about the elliptical machine, but it was really fun and it got pretty hard, I must say. Definitely a welcome change from running. And working out with Katie on Aptive is the most welcomed thing for me. She's so spunky and motivational, and it's just a lot of fun. Don't forget, you can use Katie 30 for 30% off a yearly membership with Aptive. I've linked Aptive and the personality test and Katie's blog post with instructions on the plan freakout and her podcast, The Wantcast, which my lovely little sister edits. Hey, Neen. And all that's in the show notes at partyinmyplants.com slash 122. That's partyinmyplants.com slash 122 for links to a lot of shiz. And well, I hope that you talk a little nicer to yourself moving forward. And maybe leave a nice little rating and review on iTunes for my podcast if you feel that'd be nice. <laughs>